is it possible that sometimes you get in the way of what the Lord is doing and I, I sense him here and he's probably talking to some of you and perhaps healing some of you this morning or whatever it is he wants to do and I'd hate to think that I would stop that. And so as you sit there this morning, just know that Jesus is here right there beside you. And I encourage you just to open your hearts and your, your ears to him today for whatever it is that he wants to say to you. And if that means you have to block out the sermon, then that's okay too. You can sit and pray for half an hour if you need to. That's okay too. Before I get started, just to let you know a couple of things that are going on, uh, just to let you know, we, we are still working hard behind the scenes, that, uh, moving forward with our Heart for Hills project, the building project. I'd love to see something get started like that we can actually see with our eyes soon, but the reality is that there's background work that has to happen first, and this week there was a bunch of consultants here walking the property and looking at plans and doing their part to submit to the council in the next couple of weeks. That's exciting, by the way. Things are moving forward. Things are happening. We're still in, uh, we're, we're in a three-month uh, period where we're using three months of your pledges and giving to show to our finance uh, organisation that we can support the loan that we are proposing to have. And so I'll just remind you again, if you did pledge that, don't forget to, um, to start that giving process if you can. The next thing I want to let you know is that this week, um, our denominational national conference starts on Friday it's in a really um, you know, difficult part of the world that you, you don't want to be in. It's in Phillip Island down in Victoria, right? Um, but it's going to be fantastic, and there's going to be a group from this church that are going there. In fact, Hills Church has been asked to um, support the, um, the, the main auditorium. So we'll be doing the production and the worship and facilitating all that sort of stuff, humbly doing those things. And so uh, that's exciting for us. I want to ask that you would pray for us. I want to ask that you pray for our denominational leaders. So you know that uh, Rex, our national superintendent, Pastor Rex, he is um, part of this church. He's a member of this church. And so we should be the ones praying for him this week, okay? And um, for what it is that God wants to do within this little branch of his kingdom, the Wesleyan Methodist Church of Australia. And Pastor Lex will be there and others as well. And so would you keep us all in your, your prayers? Next. I've already mentioned this a few times, but I'm going to keep mentioning it. In February, every Wednesday night will be a month of uh, prayer and fasting. And February, is a, we, while we pray every Wednesday night, we're setting aside February to be that much more special. And I want to just invite everybody here to pick at least one Wednesday evening in February that you would come to from 6.30 to 7.15 and that you would pray along with us. And I'll give you some more details as we get closer about what that might look like. But start thinking about that now. I'm going to commit to praying with this church because we want to be close to the heart of God and know what He wants for us. And we want to call on Him to move powerfully in our midst. Amen? Amen. Lastly, um, starting at the end of February, we'll be doing a, a church-wide reading, church, a Bible reading program together called Immerse, where, yes, I am so glad that one person here is excited about this, and it's because there's two. There's me as well. Now, I know you all are. Listen, church, together, we are all going to read the whole New Testament. Isn't that great? Yeah. And... I'm going to give you a, um, a Bible to do it in. This is an NLT translation, but it's been reorganised. 
not change, just reorganized so that there's no verse numbers, chapter numbers, columns, cross-references, footnotes, and all the other stuff that we added in to make it better. But all that stuff is stripped away. Apart from it being in English, it'll be close to how the original writers wrote it. And we're going to read that together and uh, I'll let you know some more about that when it comes up. But that's going to be exciting. We're going to be preaching from what we're reading each week here on the Sunday. All right. We started last week a, a new series from the sermon that Jesus preached on the side of a mountain, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is, sounds like a, a good name to give it, given that that's where he was. And so today is week two on that series. And I've called this series Mountain Retreat because it reminds me, you know, when I read this Sermon on the Mount idea, it's nice to know that Jesus took a group of people away up onto a mountain for something that I think looks like a retreat, like we do now. You know, when you go up to Mapleton or we go up to Mount Tambourine or something like that, and we just spend time with God and we do some discipleship and, and some teaching and people preach and we pray together and we worship. It doesn't really show that very clearly in the Word, but I suspect that that's kind of what happened for this sermon in the Mount. Because, you know, while it's in our Bibles, it takes three chapters, which seems like a lot. You can probably read that in 15 minutes. Now, let's think about that for a second, because I don't imagine that they would go all the way up to this mountaintop retreat for a 15-minute sermon and then come back down. So there was probably more going on up there than just what we would read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I think that we can assume that this was you know, at least a day's worth of discipleship going on. I imagine that Jesus maybe even broke them into small groups and they would have talked about what he said. And there was probably sessions even, maybe. I don't know. I'm just thinking creatively about what this may have looked like. Because when we read through these chapters, there's lots of different topics that Jesus covers and so I suspect that, you know, he would say, when you come together at 11 a.m., we're going to talk about this certain topic. And there was probably more than what, what Matthew recorded in here. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly sure that there would be. In fact, we know Jesus said more than what was even in the Bible because John says right at the very end, right at the very end, remember, he says something along the lines of, if we were to write down everything that Jesus did and said, the world couldn't contain all the books. So there was more than what even our Bible says. However, we know that the Bible is inspired and inerrant. So what God wanted us to know down through the ages was written down. That's important to keep in mind. We've got the bits that are important for us to know, but I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. They, there they were on the side of a mountain and Jesus was there and he was teaching and he was preaching and they were listening and, I, and I just, I'm sure that they would have had times to talk about what he was saying. So here we go, we're moving into the second week, we're in Matthew chapter 5 and we're up to verse 13. Just picture yourself on the mountain, Jesus is there and he's speaking to us. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavour? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Jesus says, you and me are the salt of the earth. Not the person sitting next to you. You are the salt of the earth. Now, 
I've called this sermon being salty without being salty, okay? Because I've noticed that in uh, today's language, being salty is now something different. It's a negative thing. You know, once upon a time, it was a compliment to say that someone was worth his or her salt. Well, now it's not a compliment. It's something completely different. Apparently, it's a negative. Now, I've got the benefit of uh, living with two generation Zs or Zers or whatever we want to call them. So I get to hear these new phrases that the younger generations are using. And, you know, that's good for me because I want to be able to keep up with the times and us Gen Xers think we're pretty cool, right, still? And so we're trying our best to learn the, the new language. So for those of you who aren't up with it, I'm here today to tell you that apparently being salty is not a good thing now. When someone accuses you of being salty, they're saying that you're being a bit angry, a bit defensive, maybe a bit mean or something like that. Have I got it right, Gen Zs? They're all nodding. (laughs) I guess for them it's kind of a gentle, humorous way of pointing out that you're not really behaving that well, well, behaving very well or responding very well to the situation that you're in. In fact, it's the opposite of the saltiness that Jesus was talking about because when Jesus calls us to be salt or to be salty, he's not talking about something negative. It's definitely, absolutely a positive. So if you're under the age of um, 30 today, rewire your brain just a little bit. Today we're talking about salty being a good thing. Are you with me? He's talking about being a very specific kind of flavour and that flavour is a kingdom flavour. We add the right flavour and we add something very positive to the world that we are in, which is my first point today. Salt adds flavour. Who here today, when you sit down to a special meal, prefers flavour over bland? Come on. (laughs) Now, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that my favourite chicken is Nando's chicken. We seem to eat it here a lot. It's just the way it's going to (laughs) be. Because the flavour is so good. Especially, by the way, the new halloumi wrap or burger that you can get. (laughs) Yeah. Who's joining me at Nando's after? Oh, sorry, there's a special lunch going on. (laughs) When we're being the salt in our community, we, we bring something that tastes good to people. It tastes good to the kingdom. People encounter love and grace and friendship. They encounter life. It tastes good. By the way, if the flavour we give seems good to people, but it's not good to the kingdom, and, and it's contrary to the word, that's the wrong flavour. In fact, that's, that's fake flavour right there. It's like putting equal in your coffee, right? It's not real. It's pretend. I've even seen pizzas advertised on TV where they say they're meat, but they're based on plants. That is fake flavour. There are plenty of things we can do and say that might seem good to people, but if it's not good to God, it's not the flavour that we're talking about today. Keep that in mind. What we're talking about is when the people around us experience that meaning and hope and purpose because of an interaction with the church, with us. The good things that come from a relationship with God Life tastes good when you're with Jesus. And honestly, the world should be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what the psalm says. 
through the church. Through us, we bring the flavour. When people encounter us, what they're tasting, or let me ask you this, when they encounter us, what are they tasting? This is probably the hard question I need to ask. Is a regular old bland worldly stuff, you know, is it the fake sugar? Is it the fake stuff? Because anyone can do that and everyone does do that. Or do those around us, do they taste something special that is real? And the second thing about salt is that it has cleansing and healing properties. And, and again, so for, uh, therefore so do we. we. Because Jesus lives in us, we have these, this cleansing and healing property about us. We're the ones who bring that. There's a reason why most hospitals around the world were actually begun by Christians. I know the governments have taken them over, but originally it was the Christians who organised healthcare and education. The church were the ones that brought care and healing. Same thing for most of the charities around the world, you know, that helps the vulnerable and the poor, started by the church, started by Christians. But let me ask you this, when you think about your life with all your relationships and what you bring to those relationships, do people find your words and your actions, do they bring relief? Or, or is there times that they bring pain? Do you sometimes bring the wrong kind of thing? And it's a confronting question, isn't it? Let me stretch you a little bit further. You know, given Jesus told us we can also bring healing in his name, including physical healing. How are we going with that? I don't ask that question to put guilt on anyone. I ask it to challenge us and to, to help our thinking about salt and what Jesus meant by this, this cleansing, healing properties of salt. It's cleansing. The world that we Christians interact with should experience those cleansing and healing properties through us, through the church. We're the ones who bring comfort. We're the ones who lift people out of poverty. We're the ones who care for the lonely. We're the ones who fight for justice. We are the ones who bring hope to the hopeless and rest for the weary. And that's what we should be known for. And you know, if we're not, the salt's getting bland. It's running out of flavour. We're the peacemakers, the humble, the joyful, the patient, the merciful, the ones who don't get revenge, the first to forgive, even though it's really hard. We don't hold grudges, we don't get angry. When people encounter us, there is healing for their soul, for their emotions, and yes, sometimes even for their body. There's about 200 of us here today, and we're meant to be 200 little granules of salt shaken out all over the world and bringing cleansing. If all the Christians from all the churches in our community were the salt that Jesus is talking about here in the Word that we're reading today, our communities, they, they would experience that cleansing more and more. There would be a change. There would be a change. If we lose our saltiness, the broken remain broken. There's no healing for them. There's no cleansing for them. So let's be the healers and the cleansers. The third thing is that salt preserves. We all know this before refrigeration, you know, they would coat meat in salt and it would help preserve it to stop it from going bad, 
from going off. You know what? Same with us. Sprinkle salty Christians into a community, the good kind of salty, and that community has the support it needs to hold back the stink, the decay, and the evil that communities can slide into when they start to pull back from God. But that doesn't happen when there's Christians or salty Christians sprinkled around. We're preserving the good. We're holding on to what is right, even if our culture doesn't agree with us. We know that God knows best, so we graciously and lovingly preserve our community and keep it from going bad. You know, as followers of Christ, we believe in human flourishing, and we know that God's way is the way that that happens best. If we lose our saltiness, the good in our community recedes. Brokenness increases, the gospel isn't advanced. In fact, it's, in some ways, we, we can weaken it. So moving on now, Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Verse 14. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one likes a lamp that puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I guess that last bit there is really the purpose of this is to bring glory to God for people to bring praise to God. Being salt and light, you know, Jesus linked them together. They, they kind of work hand in hand. We're not only cleansing and preserving and bringing flavour. According to Jesus, we, we are the light of the world. Now, I know Jesus is the light of the world, but he lives in me and he lives in you. And he said the very words right there, you are the light of the world. I'm not trying to take anything away from Jesus by saying that. I'm saying that he lives in you. Therefore, you shine brightly. When I think of light, here's the three things. Now, I did mention these on our Christmas carols night, but I'm just going to expand on them a little bit more for you today. The first thing is, you know, light shows the way. Remember my story about being in the caves in Thailand when the the torch they gave me went flat. And I couldn't see where I was going and it was kind of scary. We know that Jesus is the light of the, of the world, so therefore we're shining a light for the world to see him and where to go. Without the light, our community is lost and directionless. Yes, the world is good at building economies and wealth and infrastructure, which is great, but without the true light that brings hope and restoration, those things are always going to be temporary and meaningless and eventually decay. What Jesus brings is real and lasting purpose to life that nothing else can. It's unique in that way. It's a meaningful direction to follow. When Jesus shines a light ahead of me, I can avoid stumbling around in the dark. I can avoid the pitfalls and I can stay on that right path. And without Jesus, I hate to think where I would be now, quite frankly. Because even though sometimes I can't quite see the pathway very far in front of me, I can usually see right, what's right there directly in front that Jesus is showing me which, which way to take. Second thing is the light always overcomes dark. You know, when you put light versus dark, so you turn on the light in the dark, light wins every time. And by dark, I mean the evil and sin that destroys 
us. It destroys people. It destroys whole communities. And look, let's be honest, there's a lot of dark. There's family dysfunction and various forms of crime and endless number of, of different addictions that destroy people. Homelessness, loneliness, moral failures, new and dangerous ideologies that are harming young people. There's toxic politics, toxic media, environmental concerns, persecution and discrimination, threats of war. Our own government here in this state is doing some extreme abortion laws and other sorts of things. There's new concerns about uh, euthanasia laws. And the latest one that I've been made aware of now is legislation being proposed in this state around certain kinds of counselling about sexuality that will be considered criminal and include jail time, even if that person is asking for help, specific help. There's the extreme left and extreme right eroding freedoms in countries like China and Hong Kong and others. And the church, which is us, not the building we're in, is the light in that dark. And the one truth you can lean on in this is that when it comes to light and dark, if the light shines and enough of it shines, it wins. Eventually it wins. The third thing is that light always needs a power source. I love this one. That torch that was hopeless in the caves in Thailand that I was in had flat batteries. Light always needs a power source. That's why we are here praying every Wednesday night. That's why we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us as Paul told us to because he is the power source. You know, if you feel like your light is a bit dim, and I know what that's like when we go through those times, it just seems like there's no power, that there's nothing left, then start with being in the presence of Jesus. Be alone with him. Start there and don't stop. Keep getting recharged. You get recharged by dwelling in the presence of God through prayer, through studying his word. You get recharged by coming to worship. Hey, anybody feeling recharged today? That's good. You get recharged by being part of a small group, hopefully. You get recharged just by serving the king. But you've got to keep the batteries charged. You've got to do what you have to do to keep those batteries charged. He is the power source. You go to him. And if we all do that, the light wins. There's two warnings from Jesus that we have read in this passage. We don't want to skip over them. And today I want to apply them to us as a church. These are from Jesus, so let's pay attention. Let's be serious about this. The first thing is a church without flavour is of little use to the kingdom. Ouch. To be honest, what I just said is a bit gentle. Let's just check the words of Jesus here because he's got the authority to come in a little bit harder. Okay, so here he goes. What good is salt if it has lost its flavour? Can you make it salty again? If you th- uh, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as... I don't even want to say it. Worthless. The second thing he says is that a church with no obvious good deeds is hiding the light of Jesus from the world. 
That was verse 15. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, church, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, not so that we can be prideful, not so that we can say, how good are we? But so that everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. In other words, so that people will see the light and encounter Him. So it's possible if we were to take Jesus' word seriously, and we do, for the church to be dark and flavourless. So the question is, what about us? What about Hill's church? Now, I don't think we are dark and flavourless. Praise God. We are shining the light in, in, in many ways. We do bring life and hope to people. I see that happen. And some of you here have experienced, many of you here have experienced that. But I, I just suspect God is wanting to turn up the power and the flavour. Brighter light, stronger flavour. Who wants some of that? For the light to shine really brightly in each of us. And the beauty of grouping lights together is that they make one really powerful bright light together. So we're in this together. We are more effective together. In fact, we are brighter and more powerful when we're together. And I know God is wanting us to have more flavour, to bring more healing, to preserve the good work that God is already doing in our world. And as I consider the fruit we've seen over the last few years, I have no doubt that there is more to come. If we shine brightly and our salt is filled with flavour, it takes all of us and not just me and not just the leaders. It takes all of us together. There is a promise in Galatians that I hold on to very dearly. And as I read it, the, the worship team are going to come up. But don't be distracted by them because I want you to hear this. Galatians 6, 9. So, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I believe this is a promise for not just us personally, and you can take it as a personal promise, but for us as a church corporately. I've seen too many churches and ministries give up, probably just because, before they were about to reap that harvest. My challenge to every single one of us here today is to consider the words of Jesus and apply them to us, each and every one of us. Apply them to us. Are we being salty in the good sense? Are we bringing flavour to the people around us, to the world around us? Do we preserve the good? Do we bring cleansing? Are we shining the light of Jesus brightly into the world that we live you know, are we shining light into the life of the spouse that we live with and our kids that we live with or our friends who we are close to or our work friends or our uni friends or our extended family? Is the light coming from us or are we sucking the light out of people? If I could be that harsh. Are you shining the light into your world around you? If every single one of us here today were the salt and light that Jesus taught it in the mountaintop, convention here, I believe we will see that harvest of blessing more and more. We will see the harvest. I'm talking about people coming to know Jesus and being made new. I'm not talking about 
all the fantastic building programs and numbers and seats and stuff like that, we will see a harvest of people coming to know Jesus and being made new. That's our job. Salt and light. Is this church going to be salt and light? I'm going to do something now to just stretch you just a tiny little bit. Can you stand with me? Now, I'm going to ask us all to pray. I'm going to ask you to find someone near you and pray. If, however, when you hear me they say those words, you say, oh no, I just want you to know it's okay. You can pray quietly by yourself. I give you that permission from here. I'm just saying it's okay. All right? But if you would, if you would turn to someone and pray, and if someone turns to you and you don't want to, you can tell them it's okay too. Would you turn to someone and pray? And I want you to pray for a couple of things. I want you to pray for this church, that we would be salt and light, that Jesus will help us, that he will give us the power, the energy, to be the light that he wants us to be and the flavour that he wants us to be. And then pray for each other. That same prayer. Lord, help me to be salt and light to those around me. And I'll tell you when it's time to stop. Would you do that now? Would you turn to someone? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. If you want to keep praying, you're welcome to do that. Lord, I, uh, we invite you to your Holy Spirit to come in every way you want to, God. Not in the way we want to, in your way, Holy Spirit. And to fill all of us here, God, and to fill us with your light and your power. Lord, that we would be the ones who bring life to this world. We wouldn't take from it. We would add to it, Lord. We would give to it. Lord Jesus, let this church be powerful like that, I pray. I pray for Hills Church, Lord, to be that bright, shining light in this neighbourhood, the bright, shining city on the hill that you talked about, Father, where there is a place of hope and healing and restoration that comes through you. I pray, God, that you will uh, transform your church to shine brighter like that. Help us, Lord, as we go into the mission field this week even, to be salt and to be light as you would have us be. I pray, God, you would open up our eyes to see those opportunities, that we would have a heart for people like you do, God, that we would be quick to forgive, that we would be slow to anger, that we would be the ones that make peace where there is no peace, Lord Jesus. God, you are the answer to this world's problems. Help us to, um, to be your hands and feet and spread the good news of Jesus. God, I know you love this church and you love every person here this morning and I pray this week that there would be a, deep, a deepening relationship with you, God, that goes beyond what we have ever known before. I pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word clearly that you would speak to us in our times of prayer and devotions. Uh, Lord, that um, we would be the, um, you would help us to be the, the change makers. You are the way maker. Help us, Lord, to point people to you, to put their hand in yours. Thank you for your, uh, all your goodness and your mercy that we have received today. Thank you, Lord, that you are here and that you, um, you are our King and our Lord. 
And we give ourselves again afresh to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.